You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. So I go by different names. Uh, Of course, my given name is Jaime, uh, but amongst my colleagues, I'm Jay. And for my students, I'm Dr. D.A. And of course, in the last few years, I've acquired a new uh, name, which is Abuelo, grandpa, grandpa, right? So you can call me any one of those. It's fine, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, I was actually born in San Francisco. I'm a native Californian. I grew up in Puerto Rico where I went to college and met my wife. And uh, then I went to grad school in the uh, new in Boston area at MIT. Uh, that's where I became a Christian. This is a while back. And uh, we, uh, my wife and I, and uh, at the time, three children, were part of the planting of the uh, Mexico City Church in 1987. I am, uh, let's see, I came back to California in the year 2000. I've been living in Orange County since then. And uh, uh, two years ago, I started uh, teaching here at Long Beach City College. Go Vikings! Yes. I love it there. I love interacting with the students, with a lot of people who are a lot younger than I am. And uh, it is not usual for a person my age to start a career at that, you know, at that stage in life. But like I always say, you got to reinvent yourself as you go, right? So that's what I've done. I've reinvented myself. Um, About 12, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, the L.A. Church asked us to set up a different entity to handle all of uh, the L.A. Church's uh, interaction with uh, our missions in Latin America. And so we started Mexico and Central America missions, or MCA missions for short. And uh, since then, uh, we have been able to channel, to funnel all of these special offerings that you guys raise year after year to make sure that the needs of our brothers and sisters south of the border are met. Now, some of you have been here a long time, of course, and uh, you've been through many of these special contributions, right? And, you know, after a while, it could become like just one more thing, you know, one other item in the uh, year's calendar and may lose a bit of its glitter. You know what I'm saying? Now, some of you have been here a little bit, uh, you know, less time. And, uh, you know, you might not have a deep grasp of our church's history and what these missions contributions are all about. Uh, But still, because you love God, you come in and give, even though you might not really know what this is all about. In both cases, you might wonder, uh, well, does my contribution really matter? I mean, what can a few dollars do, especially if you're like a college student or you know, starting a new job, single adult or something like that, or, uh, you know, starting to raise family, kind of financially pressed kind of family or whatever. Uh, What is this for anyway? And what I hope to do today is to help you get inspired, Uh, not by me, but by the amazing work that God is doing in our lives. Uh, I'd like to share about a ministry that is very dear to me. UNAM, the National University of Mexico, serves over 100,000 students. It is perhaps the largest university in our continent, perhaps, in the Americas. And this is where we began our mission work in 1987. 
we were looking for, you know, young men and women who wanted to change the world. And hundreds of young men and women were baptized during those first several years. Now, as the church grew in number and in age, um, the campus work became a little bit you know, neglected. So, by 2012, there were only 10 students at UNAM who were members of the church. So, at that time, our ministry advisory group and the board of directors of MCA Missions, uh, you know, we were working on strategies at the time to uh, make our missions funding perhaps more targeted towards specific needs. And uh, it was precisely our brother, Steve Stevenson, who used to be here in Long Beach, uh, and, uh, and others who uh, inspired us to say, you know, let's go back and let's revive this ministry at Wunam. And so we did. So that year we set aside $36,000 of our budget to help, you know, reboot the campus ministry in Mexico City. The call went out. And by January of 2013, we had 18 uh, disciples from the Mexico City Church ready to restart that ministry. Now, we agreed that, you know, in order for this to work, we needed really a ministry couple who could be fully dedicated to the work. Uh, the Mexico City Church chose uh, Victor and Sandra Nava. Victor and Sandra were an evangelist and women's ministry leader who had led previously the church in Puebla, Mexico. And essentially, uh, through our contribution here in Los Angeles, the church in Mexico City was able to put the Navas in charge of the UNAM ministry uh, full time. Now, you got to understand, we're talking about a third world church, right? Uh, they, they can hardly afford, you know, full time ministry staff to lead, you know, ministries of hundreds of people. Uh, as a matter of fact, many of the ministries in Mexico City Church, uh, ministries of two, three hundred people are led by non-full-time ministry people. People who work, you know, nine to five like you and me and like that kind of stuff, and they still lead those kind of ministries. So to, you know, to give up a ministry couple to lead a group of 20 was a little bit challenging for them. But God really blessed it. Uh, the group doubled in size. And by the end of 2014, it had grown to 76 disciples. And by the end of last year, it had grown to 105 disciples. Over 100 young men and women who have been baptized and trained to have an impact in their society once they graduate and go on into the workforce and into the community life of that church. We started out with three uh, campus, you know, Bible talks, and now we have 16 of them at three different universities. We started out with six Bible talk leaders, and now we have 32 of them. And uh, yes, they do have selfies in Mexico, too. Uh, recently, the church in Buenos Aires, Argentina, asked the Mexico City for help. And so the Mexico City Church was able to send two of their campus uh, disciples to help uh, also revive the campus ministry in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Last year, the, uh, all of the other church, I mean, this has kind of like the Spirit's fire has kind of spread throughout Mexico. And so last year, all of the campus ministries in Mexico had their first campus conference. They had over 180 people come in from 11 different churches 
now, again, remember what we're talking about, right? There, there's no, you know, jet liners and no hotels for this. This is, you know, a you know, pretty good 20-hour bus ride and staying at somebody's house who you don't know uh, during this conference. But still, they had all these people that came out and got inspired. Uh, the individual people's lives have been impacted. This is Juan Mendoza. Uh, when he was met on campus, he actually was a person of a religious background. He actually himself had started a small religious group on campus and, uh, of young people. And uh, they had Bible study groups. And uh, when he met you know, some of the people from our ministry, he started restudying the Bible and really facing the fact that even though he was a young man of faith and great heart, you know, he had really not had a biblical conversion. He had not become a true disciple of Jesus. But, of course, he had a great heart. And as we'll talk about later, you know, God had been working in his life. He made the decision. He was baptized. Two weeks after he got baptized, he had to go back to his hometown. But he got a chance to study the Bible with his parents. And ten days later, he baptized them in the river in his town. Yes, there are, you know, there's a lot of these stories and this is the kind of impact that we had because of that decision, you know, several years ago to use some of this missions contribution money to, you know, spark that ministry. Uh, Another program that I'm excited about is in Central America. It's called the ESL program. Uh, In Central America, there are many uh, domestic and foreign companies that offer great jobs to people who are English-speaking. And so a person who speaks English can get a job and basically triple or even quadruple their income. So since last year, the Orange, your brothers and sisters in Orange County have been designating about $20,000 of their missions contribution to support this program. Now, this program is run by our sister organization, Hope Worldwide. And so the idea is to help local disciples in Central America to learn English so they can get better jobs and be able to provide you know, better for their families and also help to support their local churches. Uh, the gentleman here in the, set, in the middle of the picture is Jose Villata. He became a Christian in the United States but had to move back to El Salvador, not to the capital where we have a church, but a town called Aguilera. I'm sorry, Aguilares. I'm sorry, Aguilares. Uh, There was no church there, so he basically started just teaching English and making disciples on his own. Now, recently, about a year or so ago, a couple years ago, he got reconnected and found the church in San Salvador. And so what he's been doing is, uh, like once a month, he brings his little group over to San Salvador to worship with the church, which is about probably the size of our group here in Long Beach. Uh, he is also now the new English teacher for the Hope Worldwide ESL, ESL program in El Salvador. Let me tell you what he says. He says, in Aguilares, I continue teaching English. I'm now teaching an English class to a small group of local professionals who've created their own cluster of friends, non-Christians who've asked me to teach them English at night when they get out of work, attorneys and doctors. Please pray for them so they have a heart open to the word of God. I'm so grateful to God for all he's done for me. I went to the States and brought back with me a twofold treasure to El Salvador. Jesus and English. (laughs) If you want to hear more stories like this, go to our Facebook page, MCA Missions News. 
Uh, we are also on Instagram, and you can see uh, some stuff there. And we're also reorganizing all of our internet presence, our Twitter account, our informational webpage, and our blog, The Mission Diaries. And uh, I hope you're inspired by these things. Uh, but I want to give you more than good news. Uh, you know, uh, I want to give you something today that you can you know, walk away with beyond you know, just being inspired by these great stories, which they are great and inspirational. Uh, back to uh, 1987 and our initial planting of the Mexico City Church. Uh, you know, we faced a lot of challenges, and they could have discouraged us. Uh, you know, you would invite people to church, study the Bible, and many times they said no. Uh, many times they would say, sure, but they wouldn't show up, or it would turn out they had given us a, you know, wrong phone number or whatever, not a wrong one, a, a false phone number. Uh, a lot of the missionaries, of course, being from the U.S., they got sick when they got there. Uh, some were robbed in the subways. Some were threatened by gangs. Some were threatened by corrupt policemen. Uh, but the thing that I believe sustained us, and the thing that I want to share with you today to help sustain you through your walk in your Christian life, is Jesus' vision. Let's go to John chapter 4. I have it on the screen here for you. But if you want to go in your own Bible, maybe read a different version of it. John 4, 35, Jesus said, Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest. This same principle needs to apply to the church now in 2016. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the fields are ripe. What does that mean? What it means is that there are many, many people out there who are searching for answers. They might not know it. They might not feel it. They might not know what is this thirst in their inside. But they are seeking God. And what we need to do is, we need to believe what Jesus says here. We need to believe it. Now, don't get caught up in this idea that people here in the United States have a comfortable, shallow, laid-back lifestyle. And that because of that, they don't care. They don't feel that emptiness. Mm -mm. Open your eyes and look. You've got to believe, not your opinion, not your view of the world around you, but Jesus' view, Jesus' vision of the world around us. The fields are ripe for harvest. And I want to tell you why. Let's go to John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. You know, I... I wish that when I share with people about, you know, going out to another country and starting a church there, I, I wish it, it'd be like this romantic story of, you know, this, this, you know, idealized thing where you just go there and start preaching and, wow, you know, out pops a church, you know, like popping popcorn in the microwave and it comes out this full bag full of, cur you know, uh, kernels and stuff. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, actually, the Bible says in, uh, this is in Proverbs 21, verse 5, uh, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
In other words, uh, yes, God is at work, but there is an element of planning that has to come on our part, and a lot of preparation. So we, we tried to prepare as well as we could to plant the Mexico City Church. You know, we arrived several months before the official starting date of the church planting, and, you know, we needed to get trained early on, and uh, you know, a lot of the things that we decided was, look, if, if the fields are ripe, we need to harvest soon. We need to be ready for this, right? So uh, out of the 13 people on the team, only five of us actually spoke Spanish fluently. The other eight had to learn it. But the other eight were the ones that were going to start this ministry on campus. And I don't know if, you've, if you're from a foreign country, but, you know, gringos trying to learn Spanish are the target of every single, you know, joke and what have you. I mean, I, I grew up in a Spanish-speaking country. It's a U.S. territory. And we still made fun of all the, you know, tourists from the U.S. who came down there and tried to say, like, hola and, uh, and uh, me llamo Juan and that kind of stuff like that. We used to make fun of that. And uh, we sent them on these wild goose chases and stuff like that. It was horrible. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Anyway, um, so our missionaries said we have to learn Spanish, right? And they learned Spanish quickly. Now, Spanish 101 was introducing yourself and inviting someone to church or study the Bible, even if you couldn't do it. Spanish 201 was learning to study the Bible with someone. Spanish 301 would have mean, would have meant you're leading a church or you're you know, leading a group. Something like that. It, it was fast. Of course, <laughs> a lot of funny things happen, right? Like, like I remember this brother was trying to invite people to the first service of the church. So he, he learned the phrase, you know, te invito, you know, invite you, al primer servicio, to the first service de la iglesia, of the church, right? But instead of inviting the person to the first servicio, he invited them to the first cerveza, which is a beer. So, of course, he had a lot of people interested in uh, our work there. But, you know, it's funny now, right? But we were very strongly motivated, I say to say the least, to invite people to church. Uh, why did we believe in this principle that Jesus, uh, you know, presented that the fields are ripe for harvest? It's because of this scripture. God has always been at work. And so we came to believe from day one, that already, before we even open our mouths to invite people to study the Bible and come to church, God had already been working in the lives of hundreds, thousands, hopefully millions of people. God had already arranged where these future Mexican Christians would live. He had already arranged where they would work, where they would eat what classes they would take at the university, what subway stations they would use, all of that just so that one day at just the right place and at just the right time, God would place in their lives one disciple of Jesus to give them a chance to change their lives for eternity. That's what we got to believe. Every single member of our mission team believed that. And I still believe it. I still believe that. Uh, let me share with you a, another idea about this same principle. It's in Acts chapter 17. 
during one of his missionary trips, the Apostle Paul made a stop in the city of Athens. And when the local philosophers and scholars heard about, heard about him, they invited him to speak at their forum, right? And this is an excerpt of what he said. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, for, marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You see, God had orchestrated all of the flow of history to bring about this opportunity for men to reach out to him and find him because he was close always. The Mexico City mission team believed that then, and I still believe it now, that this same powerful, loving God is still working to this very day. He is like the master conductor of this symphony of history. He's like a master painter, you know, working on the greatest masterpiece ever painted in the history of the universe. And you know what? He has been working in your life all this time. He has brought about situations, circumstances, events in your life to bring you to this same opportunity. So what I want to do for the next few seconds is, I want you to remember, all right? If you are today a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to think and remember, how did it happen? How did you come to know Christ? Who was it that invited you? What kinds of events transpired? What other things happened before or during that time when you were coming face to face with your relationship with God or lack thereof? I mean, if you have to close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes. Just take a few moments to reminisce. I want you to go back in the history of your life because I'm pretty sure that as you do that, you're going to realize God had already been working in your life. He had, he, was, he had already done a few things. Yeah, I remember in our case, uh, we were, uh, I was a graduate student at MIT, and uh, we had our first son. He was about five months old at the time. When uh, my parents came to visit with us, and uh, bad mistake, stay with us in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, on the day that they were about to go back home, uh, my wife and my mom had this big argument. I mean, it was huge. My mom and dad basically stormed out of there. They said, we're going to go to the airport now. Even though the flight didn't leave for another eight hours or so, they said, no, we, don't, we can't be here. Uh, they told me something like along the lines of, oh, we wish you well. I hope you have a good life with that woman uh, kind of thing. And it, was, it was really, really rough. And for several months, they would not speak to each other. Uh, at that time, you know, we found out that uh, we were uh, expecting our second child, our daughter, Bianca. 
And uh, during that time, basically, things kind of mended between my parents and my wife. Uh, and very, about a few months before we had Bianca, we got a knock on our door and somebody was coming around the uh, building, which was a, uh, it was a campus building for married students. And this young man was inviting people to his Bible study group. And he, when Mimi opened the door, my wife Mimi opened the door, he said, oh, my wife is pregnant too. <laughs> That's the first thing he said before he even said who he was or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, we hit it off with them. And yes, uh, their son was born basically uh, about a week before our daughter was born. Both of them were like five weeks early. Uh, but just the experience bonded us. And by that time, uh, when the doctor came to tell us that our daughter was very sick and, you know, basically scared us. I mean, we, th- we thought she wasn't going to make it. Uh, by that time, God had already worked out so that these disciples of Jesus that we had just met a few months before had somehow become our best friends. And who did I think of calling on the phone? Not my parents. Nobody else but my new friends from church. The next day, they were there. I, won- I walked into the room, and they were sitting there around Mimi, and Mimi was laughing. And It, which, it turns out that uh, the baby, you know, Bianca, made it through. That doctor who talked to us that day, we never saw him again. or her, We don't even know who he was. Um, I mean, it, it was like God worked all these things, and, uh, you know, it made us realize how, uh, you know, how weak and uh, how, you know, how much you need God. In your life. And I think that's what came to my mind. Is, you know what? I'm, I'm not in charge of this. Uh, there's something else going on. And eventually we became Christians. And there's more, but maybe for another lesson. Uh, in 1987. <laughs> don't laugh, please. In 1987, we were chosen to be part of the Mexico uh, City mission team. And uh, here's what the way I look at it. See, up to that time, God had orchestrated things in our lives to bring us to him. Now, we were becoming his agents in orchestrating the plans for other people to come to him. Now, it was our turn to be that person who at the appointed time would meet that future disciple so that they could get a chance to reach out and find God. Because... God had already been working in that person's or those people's lives since before we were even there. And I believe God is still at work in the same way. I think of one of our mission fields that we are contributing to today, the Middle East. Of course, we call it the Middle East, but it really includes other countries that are not technically geographically in the... I'm sorry, I'm talking like a professor here. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> You know, Egypt is not the Middle East, okay? It's Africa. But anyway, it's, just, it's just, just details, right? But anyway, as you can imagine, these are very, very challenging situations. This is a very difficult mission field. I mean, half of it is torn by war and religious strife, uh, led by governments that are anti-Christian, you know, proclaimed violently anti-Christian. And you wonder, you know, How how are we going to reach people there? I believe God is working it all out. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do. But he's working it out because there are people in those countries 
who are empty and desperately seeking the true God. As a matter of fact, I believe you are here today because God is working in your life. You might not think so. You might not see it. You might think I'm here because, well, you know, I, I'm, my neighbor invited me, my coworker invited me. I, I just want to be nice to them and stuff like that. No, no, no. Being here, being here today is just one little part of this magnificent tapestry that God is building for your life. This, you know, masterpiece, this awesome symphony of history that God is building. God has been working on all these things, you know what, for your sake. And you might also be an agent in that whole work. Oh, sorry, somebody's calling me. I got to tell them I'm, they don't know that I'm preaching here. So People don't know what I do, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but let me finish out our story so that we can go on. Um, you know, in the process of learning these lessons and meeting all these wonderful people, many of whom I met when they were college students, uh, and now they are, you know, leaders of churches, raising their own families, great men and women who I love, like if they were, you know, they're connected to my heart, uh, because I know that God put me in their lives, and maybe, you know, maybe what I did was not really that great, and I think, I want you to think that, you know, uh, maybe you are a part of the plan that God is working out in somebody's life, but maybe your role is going to be minimal, or you might think so. Maybe all you're going to be doing with that person is, you know, saying hi one day, introducing yourself, and that's it. Maybe it'll be someone else who someday will get to harvest that seed that you planted. It doesn't matter, because God is the one who is at work. Well, in our case, you know, we gave ourselves to this work, and our family grew. By 1990, we got to lead our own mission team, this one to the city of Guadalajara. And in the ensuing years, you know, God took us to many different places, and he did many, many things in our lives. We went through some, you know, exhilaratingly fun times, definitely. We also went through some very challenging times. As a matter of fact, I would say for the past Tens plus years. You know, life has been pretty challenging in the Deanda household because of my wife's health problems. But what I do is, I have to remember. I have to remember that everything that I've done, everything that I do, everything that I will do is all part of God's work. And you, my dear brother and sister, I want to encourage you to remember that everything that you've done, everything that you do, everything that you will do is all part of God's work. And because of that, everything you do is important. Any single act of worship, of devotion, of giving, of evangelism, of compassion. Everything is significant. Everything you carry out, everything you give is valuable. Today, as you bring your missions contribution, 
whether it's a few dollars, whether it's a few hundred dollars, sometimes we say, oh, that's nothing to God. But I disagree. I think it's everything. Because we are part of history. As Christians, we are God's agents. God brought about all these events in our lives so we could come to Christ. And now we are part of the tapestry of the history of other people who can come to Christ because of what we do. Whatever it is, you, brother and sister, are a part of His plan. And may God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.